Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. Tonight we're starting a new series and I'm excited about it because we've never done this book together um, in our youth group, in our youth ministry, and it's the book of Ruth. Uh, So we're calling the series Ruthless um, because the world can feel pretty ruthless sometimes. Uh, And since Ruthless is kind of a pun on Ruth, I thought I would maybe just share with you, I asked you to come up with some in your tag, but a few Ruth-related puns, and they're not going to be good. Shouldn't fun-sized baby Ruth bars be called preemie Ruths? Nobody's going to laugh at any of these, are they? Why doesn't Ruth like Joshua? Because Joshua judges Ruth. That was a little better. Here's the next one, final one, and I'll spare you. Johnny and Ruth are biking down a hill. Ruth hits a tree. Johnny continues on ruthlessly. So, you know, these, uh, <laughs> these puns are terrible. They're painful to listen to. How many of y'all have dads who tell jokes that are painful to listen to, right? Yeah, just, just wait. You, you guys, one day, you're going to be like 31, 32. You know, you're going you're gonna to have a baby or something, then they're going to be a kid, and you're going to start telling dad jokes too. And you're going to have dad bots, and I'm going to laugh. Um, so... These jokes are painful to listen to, these, but you know what is not funny is the pain that we experience sometimes in our lives, how life can be painful. And if you're like me, I don't mind getting hurt physically. Now, some of you, you know, I'm, yeah, I've, I've had things explode in my face before. Um, I've fallen numerous times, especially on the ice the past couple weeks, um, but It's easier for me to deal with physical pain than it is for me to deal with pain that I have in here. Mental pain, emotional pain. That stuff, especially guys, we don't like to talk about. But the fact is we live in a world where sometimes we we experience that kind of pain. And I always think it's interesting because something happens to you when you're a middle schooler. And some of you are middle schoolers here and it's happening you know, to you. And I'm not talking about puberty. I'm talking about something totally different. And it's happening to you. And it's this, this idea. You remember when, you don't really remember when you were a baby. But when you were a baby, you pooped in your pants and people thought it was cute. Now you're a middle schooler. And if you poop your pants, they don't think it's cute anymore. <laughs> like mom's not going to be smiling anymore. When you were young, your parents protected you from the outside world. When you took a step, everybody celebrated. When something bad happened in your family, you were shielded from it. When a terrible thing happened in the news, you had no idea. But something happens as you get a little bit older, you become a middle schooler and then especially a high schooler, you start to see world events and you start to realize there's a lot of pain in the world. We've been watching, we watch things unfold on the news and we realize there's a lot of pain in the world and then yeah, there's pain that's close to home too. There's pain that happens sometimes in, our, in, our, in homes where you, your, your parents are really like kind to everybody at church but like at home it's like a shouting match. Like conflict resolution in your home is like this person screams at this person and they scream back at that person and then they just leave mad for a couple hours. Like that's conflict resolution. Uh, it, so, some homes, you, you go through the pain of like a family that separates and you need, you've got mom's house and you've got dad's house. 
Uh, you go through the pain of being, I don't know, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but so, you, some of you, you know what it feels like to be relentlessly, relentlessly picked on and bullied. And that's not a pain that shows on your body, it's a pain that shows up inside you and usually only you can feel it and know it. And then we start asking the question when we experience that pain and you start asking it as a teenager and really sometimes we never quite stop asking it even when we're adults, is where's God? You know, where's God? I'm experiencing this terrible thing that's going on in my life. I act like I'm okay, but inside I feel terrible, I feel pain. Where is God? Why did he let it happen? Does God see me? Does he see the way that I feel? Does God know the anxiety that's eating me away from the inside out? And then maybe, did God cause it? Is God the one that made this terrible thing that I'm feeling, this pain in my life? Is God the one that made that happen? And how could a loving God make that happen? Um, tonight, we're gonna get into the story of Ruth. And as you get into this story, you're gonna, we're gonna be featuring a character in the book of Ruth that is not Ruth but it's one of the main characters in this, in, in this book, and it's the character Naomi. And if you feel pain now, if you're dealing with pain that's going on inside you, or if there's been a time in your life where you have experienced pain, or if you will ever experience pain in your life, and you know, spoiler alert, you will, you're gonna wanna learn from this story because it's a real story, and it's a story about someone who felt so much pain in her life, and it was almost like the pain in her life was ruthless. But God's relentless promises never stop taking care of her. So if you have your Bible, open up to Ruth. And we're going to be in the first chapter of Ruth tonight. So this is, you know, sometimes we do topical lessons where we talk about a topic, like we talk about parents, we talk about dating. This is what we call a, 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 a series of lessons just kind of goes verse by verse through the Bible. So if you're a, you know, some of you are going to be on cloud nine. If you're a highlighter, a circler, you know, if you like making notes in your Bible, just limber those fingers up and get ready because we're going to be going verse by verse through the book of Ruth and we're going to start in verse 1. And as we start in verse 1, get ready to stop because Ruth chapter 1, verse 1 says this. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So this tells us where historically this story was situated. And it tells us that this isn't like a fable. This isn't just like some made up story that somebody taught to teach like a virtuous lesson. These are actual people that lived and breathed and ate and drank and all the other stuff that humans do. This is a real story. And it happened, it says, in the time when the judges ruled. If you were to take your Bible and you were to open to Ruth and you turned one page back, you know what book you'd be in? Judges. And that's a book that talks about what happened when the judges ruled in Israel. This was a nation that God kind of carved out. He placed judges in this nation, and the judges were supposed to keep people serving God and keep people in a relationship with God, but the problem was the book of Judges. I dare, well, I dare you to read. If it was a Netflix show, your parents wouldn't let you watch it. But if you were to read through the book of Judges, what you would realize is Israel had this love disobedient, love-hate relationship with God. And they would serve God and God would bless them and take care of them. And then they'd just think, ah, 
I don't think I want to serve God anymore. I think I want to like worship these false gods, you know, sleep with whoever I want to sleep with, do this, do that. And God would send correction to them. He would send punishment to them. And they're like, oh, 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 we strayed from God. We need to go back to God. And it was back and forth and back and forth until at the end of Judges, I'm not going to read the story. I'm not really going to go over the story. But at the end of Judges, there is something that happens at the end of Judges that symbolizes just how wicked Israel had become. It involves a prostitute, her body being chopped up into 11 pieces and sent across the country, forced marriages, and the country at war with itself, a civil war. So we could just kind of boil it down to the country was one big steaming hot mess. So when it says in the days when the judges ruled, it's talking about a time when Israel was under the correction and punishment of God. And it says when the days the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. God promised Israel that if, he, that if they didn't obey him, he would send correction. He would send punishment to get their attention. And this famine that we'll learn was one of those punishments. A famine is just means it don't rain. So you don't have crops, you don't have livestock, and you don't have food. It's kind of like when you go to Walmart the day before a snowstorm and everybody's buying their milk and bread. I don't know what you're going to do, make a bread sandwich. But, but yeah, there was no food in the land. There was no, there, make a milk sandwich, there's no food in the land. So there's, there's no food, and then we find the people that are the subject of the story. It says, a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. So there's this man who, he don't have any food, so he says, well, I guess I'm going to take my family somewhere where there is food. That kind of makes sense, but we'll get into why that was a bad move. Now it tells you who these people were. Verse 2, it says, the name of the man was Elimelech, weird name, Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. Kilion is an awesome name. April's not in the ring. Yeah, if we have, if we have, a, if we have a boy, Kilion. Kilion. <laughs> Kilion uh, McClay. I think that would be a pretty awesome name. We'll call him Kill for short. Um, so... The man's name was Elimelech. We're never going to get through this if I don't move on. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. They had two sons. And from what we learn later, they were probably either almost adult sons, like young adults, or they were adult sons. And they left. And he, it says um, they were Ephraimites from Bethlehem and Judah. So they were Jewish people under God's law, part of the nation of Israel. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. And we're going to talk about this here in a minute. Moab was a very wicked country. I mean, yeah, think about like if Las Vegas was a country, you know, uh, if Las Vegas was a country, it would be Moab. We'll talk a little bit more about that here soon. So they went probably to a place where there were bad influences, the wrong people, and it says they remained there. So you think, oh, well, he had to do what he had to do for his family. But here's where it gets bad, and here's where Naomi's pain begins. Verse 3, it says, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. So she's with her and her husband in a foreign land and their sons, and he dies. So now it's Naomi and her sons in a foreign land. You'd think, maybe she'd think, it's time to go home, but she stays. In verse four, it says, these, her two sons, took Moabite wives. So they took wives from the Vegas of the ancient Near East. Yeah, probably not people you'd want your, if you had a son, you wouldn't want your son, you know, bringing home, right? Uh, 
They took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, not Oprah, Orpah. And the name of the other was, you're too young to even know who Oprah is. That's sad. Uh, it's probably a good thing. Anyway, they took one of the wives' name was Orpah, the other Ruth. So, and the Bible never says which, whether Malon or Kilion, which one married Orpah and which one married Ruth. We don't know. But they took on these two, the, these two uh, Moabite ladies as their wives. It says they live there about 10 years. So they don't just go down there and come back. They're, they're down there for a long time, 10 years. That's like more than half of your all's lives, right? For 10 years. But it gets worse. Verse five, and both Malon and Kilion died. And she was left without her two sons and her husband. So we start to see the pain that Naomi's experiencing, right? She loses her husband, her sons marry. They don't have any kids, but then she loses her two sons. And a widow at that time, this is a very, you know, this is thousands of years ago. Women at that point, at that time, were not allowed to own property. They weren't allowed to work in public and make a living. So if you were a widow and you had no sons or grandsons, you were in a terrible economic situation. You had no money to buy food, you had no food, you had nobody to take care of you. So Naomi is in pain as far as she's lost the people that she loves, but she, and she's also in pain in this anxiety of, how am I gonna take care of myself? So we see Naomi in a lot of pain. Verse six, it says, then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Why did, remember Elimelech, the, the husband, why did he leave Israel? Because there was no food. He took his family down there. He died. His sons died. His wife is alone now with no one to provide for her. But back in Israel where he left, God had taken care of the people. So he probably should have trusted God, right? Um, so Naomi, she hears that God had taken care of his people, provided food. So she set out from the place where she was. Verse seven. I'm trying to, I'm trying to help, help you follow along. Verse seven. They went to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, go return to each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each one of you, in the house of her husband. So she's saying, listen, you guys are from here. Y'all are from, she wasn't a redneck, but y'all are from here. You've got family here. You don't have family back where I come from. Why don't you just stay here? Remarry. Yeah, move in with your parents, let them take care of you, remarry, start a family, be taken care of here where you, you're known. I'll go back to, you know, to, to my country, Israel, Bethlehem, myself. And then it says, they lifted up their voices and wept. So this is, you know, this is one of the areas where the Bible actually shows a lot of emotion. You know, I don't know if it's just because it's three girls getting together and crying. Yeah, you get, you, guys cry in, in private, like in the shower when nobody sees. Like, girls love to cry together for some reason. I don't understand that. It's probably because I'm not a girl. But you see it here. It says, they lifted up their voices and wept. You know, so verse 10, it says, they said to her, no, we'll return to you with your people. They're trying to be kind here. We'll return to you with your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Now, you can tell how upset and bitter Naomi is, especially if you were to read it in the original Hebrew. It says, have I sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go away, for I'm too old to have a husband. I, I, even if I should say I, I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and bear sons, would you therefore wait till you're grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it's exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out 
against me. Do you see how upset Naomi is in the imagery she uses? She says, listen, why would you go with me? Even you, you need husbands who can provide for you because back then there was no such thing as you, you, women were not allowed to work. They weren't allowed to own property. So you, you, you need a husband. I can't provide a husband for you. I'm an old lady. Like that ship has sailed. And even if I could provide sons for you, what are you gonna do? Wait 20 years till they grow up and then be like the super cougar? Like you, she, you, you see what she's saying here? She's saying you, this, this is not a logical thing. She gets so emotional that if you read in the Hebrew when she says, have I yet sons in my womb? She's not necessarily referring to her womb. She says, have I sons in my gut? Like that's really what she's saying. You see how upset she is? She's, she's, bitter, she's upset, she's full of pain. Then in verse 14, once again, they lifted up their voices and wept again. This could be a Hallmark movie. They lifted up their voices and they, it's sappy, they wept again. There's so much, do you see the emotion? There's all this emotion because when there's pain, there's emotion, right? There's crying and it says, Orpah kissed her mother-in-law and that, wasn't, that was an affectionate kiss but that was an also a see you later kiss. It was like a peck on the cheek, like you're making sense now, Naomi. I'm peacing out. But we're coming up on another big butt of the Bible. Some of you weren't around for our big butts of the Bible series, but the Bible is full of big, juicy butts that I just love. And this is one of them. It says, Orpah kissed her, meaning Orpah went away, but Ruth clung to her. Ruth said, uh-uh, I'm not letting you go. I'm going with you. Naomi replies, verse 15, if you're still trying to follow along. Naomi replies, she says, she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Ooh, ooh, we learned that this was a country that didn't serve the one true God. And Orpah went back to these false gods. And we're gonna learn that these false gods were leading the people of Moab into terrible, terrible sin. She went back to her people and her gods Return after your sister-in-law. Go, go, go follow Orpah. It's the logical thing to do. Once again, here's two big juicy butts in one passage. But Ruth said, do not urge me to, go, to leave or return from following you. And here's a very kind of famous portion of the Bible. Chris Tomlin even made it into a song. It says, for where you go, she's talking to Naomi, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I'll be buried. May the Lord do to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And Naomi saw she was determined to go with her and said no more. So there's a fork in the road here. Orpah goes back to her home. Naomi says, I'll go with you. And not only am I gonna go with you, I've heard about this God that has taken care of the people back in Israel, and I want him to be my God too. So Naomi and Ruth, they take the journey across the Jordan River. They take the journey west across the Jordan River into Israel, past Jerusalem to the city of Bethlehem. In verse 19, it says, the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? Remember, it's been at least 10 years. You know, you're gonna learn this one day when you get older, but you know, 10 years, things start sagging. You know, things start wrinkling up. You, know, you start looking like the, the, the end of a hot dog. You know, it's just not good stuff. So, um, so, so they say, is, this, is this Naomi? You know, she looks older. And that word for the whole town was stirred. It's a, how many of y'all like English class? Anybody ever heard of onomatopoeia? Not something you do in the bathroom. Onomatopoeia. It's, it's, it's when a word sounds like what it means. The word murmur, grumble, grumble, kind of sounds like what it means. The word in Hebrew is the word hum, 
which sounds like a buzz. So it's a word that kind of means the whole town was buzzing. The whole town was talking. It says the whole town was stirred. They said, is this Naomi? And Naomi says back to him, it was a little dramatic, but here, read the pain, listen to the pain in what she's saying. She says, don't call me Naomi. Now, by the way, Naomi is a, is, is a Hebrew word that means pleasant, okay? It's, it's like when you meet a lady named Joy and she shouldn't have been named Joy. <laughs> I don't know anyone named Joy, so I'm not picking on anyone, okay? But she says, don't call me Naomi, don't call me pleasant, call me Mara, which means bitter. Anybody know someone that needs to be named Mara? Yeah. Call, me, <laughs> call me Mara. You see, you see the dr- drama, but it's, it's, it's hiding the pain. Call me Mara because she was bitter. The Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. And this is a big statement that we're gonna come back to. I went back, or I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So, so Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite and her daughter with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. The barley harvest means nothing to you, but next week when we talk about the barley harvest, you're gonna realize what perfect timing, God-orchestrated timing it was that they arrived at that, at that point in time. So that's... The story so far. And as you can tell, at this point, Naomi is kind of the, the, the feature, isn't it? It's about Naomi. It's about the pain that she experienced. It's about the loss that she experienced. It's about the economic crisis that she's in. But I think there are some things that we can learn through this. So there are three things I just want to kind of feature and, and, and I want you to look at in the verses that we read and we talked about. And the first thing that we should take away from this is that God is always working even when life is painful. Israel was going through a painful time with their famine. Naomi was going through a painful time. God made promises to Israel. They started in Genesis 12, one through three, when God uh, gave a promise to the one who began Israel, the, the, the guy who literally fathered Israel, Abraham. He said, I'm gonna make you into a great nation. I'm going to give you this land and I'm going to bless you and all nations of the earth will be blessed through you. You can go to Deuteronomy chapter 28 and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but God gives these promises to Israel in Deuteronomy 28, but they're conditional. These are conditional promises. Deuteronomy 28, he says to Israel, if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. He makes it conditional. Verse two of Deuteronomy chapter 28 says, if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Verse nine of Deuteronomy 28 says, if you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. Verse 13 of Deuteronomy 28 says, if you obey the commands of the Lord your God. Verse 14, it says, if you do not turn aside from any of the words I command you today. So you understand how this was conditional, right? That if Israel would keep God's commands, that God would bless them. Here are the blessings that God says. It says, God will bless your fields, meaning your harvest, your food. He will bless the fruit of your womb, meaning you're gonna make a lot of babies. He says, blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Once again, more blessings when it comes to food. Blessed are you when you come in. Blessed when you come out. The Lord will cause your enemies to be defeated before you. The Lord will bless your barns. That's another blessing of food. Uh, The Lord will make you abound in prosperity. Uh, Verse 12, the Lord will open you to his good treasury. Uh, So do you see how God is promising to take care of Israel if they were to obey him specifically? 
It's going to give them food. That's a promise that I would like because, like, I'm always hungry. But, but this had to do with their survival, right? But what happened in the days of the judges? Was Israel keeping God's commands? Absolutely not. So God sends punishment to them. And we start to see how even in the pain God is working because God's working through situations that appear natural, like a famine in the land, a drought. That also means God works through ice storms. God can work through pandemics. God can work through unfair legal and cultural situations. Was it right that women could not work or own property? Absolutely not. That's terrible. But what do you see here? You're going to see later in the book of Ruth in the next few weeks how God even uses a terrible situation like that to take care of Naomi and to take care of Ruth. God works through people with godly character. Here soon, you're gonna see Ruth and you're gonna see what godly character she has. And I'm I'm excited that we get to feature a girl, a woman, as an example of godly character. My daughter Addison is just so pumped that we're doing this series. Like she, she asks for all the details of every lesson already. Like I gave her a synopsis of the lesson on the way here tonight. So it's important to see women who are models of godly character. And God works through Ruth. He works through Boaz. We'll talk about him later too. God works through chance events and divine intervention. We're talking about that next week. But they happen to come during the barley harvest, which is the perfect time for them to be able to get the food that they need. In all these events, we can see God's kindness, even though some of the events felt painful. Just like God made promise to Israel, he makes promises to us. I wrote down a bunch of these promises from the Bible. I don't have time to read them all. Let me just read a few of my favorites, okay? Jesus said, my grace is sufficient to you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. James tells us to count it all joy when we are in various trials because the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Here's one that I use all the time, I promise. James 1.5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God and God will give him the wisdom he needs. James 4.7, here's a good one, says that if we resist the devil, he'll flee from us. Here's another good one, James 4.8, it says that if we draw close to God, he'll draw close to us. I could go on and on, but we have promises just like the nation of Israel had promises that God has given to us. And we can hold on to those even when it's painful. So you're experiencing pain now, just like Naomi was experiencing pain, and I'll tell you, she did not see God working right now. We'll see how Naomi is able to look back and see how God was working in a few chapters. But for you that are experiencing pain now, it's hard to see how God's working in this situation, but we can hold on to his promises and know that he's working. The next thing we should learn from this story is that there's always a place for you in the family of God. Verse 15 and verse 16. But Ruth, but Ruth. Ruth lived in a terrible, terrible, terrible country. It's a country where immorality was everywhere. You can read about the Moabites in the Bible. Everybody was sleeping with everybody. It's almost like the high school you go to. You know? And, and it, was, it, was in, it was just in terrible moral condition. There's, a, there, there's an account in the Bible of the king of Moab, his name's Misha, instituting human sacrifices in Moab. They would sacrifice their own children, kill them and burn them on an altar to this false god that they worshipped. And even the king sacrificed his own son. And up against that terrible cultural backdrop, 
where she was probably taught and schooled in this pagan idol worship, you have Ruth who says, I want to follow the one true king. You can see her progression from just believing in a God to believing in the one true God between verse 16 and verse 17. Some of you are going to like this. Some of you are just going to, but in verse 16, she says to Naomi, your God will be my God. She uses the name for God, Elohim, which is more of a kind of a generic way to describe God. But then in verse 17, she says, may the Lord do so to me. And she uses the, the, the name, the only name there is for God, the name Yahweh, the name that God gave to his people who were in a covenant with him. So she believes in God even though she came from a terrible, terrible situation. So if there's a place for Ruth in the family of God, there's a place for you in the family of God. I put on here some, I, you gotta be careful when you do this. I googled bad family pictures. Um, and as you can see, there's just all, you, you can tell this guy was not digging this picture. Like his wife made him put this on and he is ticked, right? But some of you, you, you your family doesn't take pictures like this, but your family is a hot, you, you feel like your family is a hot mess. You come to youth group and you, you see people and you assume they come from these perfect families where the dad and the mom live together. Everybody goes to church together and you know, everybody serves the Lord together. And it's like, yeah, it, it's like this like perfect family and you go home and there's like, like, like chinaware being launched across the room. And, 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 and one of your parents is saved and follows God and the other one I'm not, sure, not so sure about. Or you know, there's, there's, all this, there's, there's all this stuff and you think, is there a place for me in the family of God? Ruth is proof positive that there's room for you in the family of God. She was a Moabite. She, was, she wasn't even a, a Jewish person and God was working primarily through the Jewish people at that time. I think that's what Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13 means when it says that those of us who were once far off have been brought near through the blood of Christ. So you may not come from a spiritual or religious family, but there's a place for you in the family of God. And Ruth is proof of that. And here's the final thing, is that you can always come home. I don't have time to break it down very much, but I, if you're a circler, look at all the time. You, I counted five times. The word return is used to describe the way that Naomi came back from Moab. Elimelech had no business taking his family to Moab. And we don't, Naomi, we don't know if Naomi had any say in this or not. You'd, back then, a lot of times, wives didn't have much say in the decision-making in the family. So it's probably like Elimelech was like, Naomi, there is no food. We are going to Moab. And it's just, that's the way it was. Do you like the, the voice? Um, yeah. So she may or may not have been a party to that decision. But she stayed there. She made the decision to stay there. Her theology, her belief in God was compromised. She was surrounded by sin. She was outside of the place where God wanted her to be. But it all changes in verse six. It says, she arose with her daughters-in-law to return to the country of Moab because she heard that the Lord had visited his people and given him food. She came to her senses. It reminds me of a parable that Jesus told about the prodigal son who left his father's house, got involved in a bunch of sin, but then he came to his senses. Naomi came to her senses and realized, why am I not living within the parameters of the promises of God? And she came home, and what's so exciting is that when she came home, guess what? God showed mercy on her. God not only gave her food. God not, you're gonna learn about this later, not only gave her a place to stay, he gave her a grandson 
who would continue her family lineage. And that grandson's name, I don't want, I don't want to spoil it, but that grandson's name was Obed, and her, that, that grandson had a son named Jesse, who had a son named David, who was the king of Israel, and through David's line, we get Jesus, and we're all saved because Naomi returned with Ruth, and God used her. It's a reminder that we can always come home. I'm gonna kind of end with this. I don't have time to get to our R words. I'll post them on Instagram. Um, But there may be a day, five years from now, six years from now, when you're in a college dorm somewhere or you're in one of those like ridiculous roach motel hole-in-the-wall apartments down by Marshall and you've gone a long ways from God and your story may end up being like Naomi's story when she says, I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Naomi left, um, left God's promises, left Bethlehem with an empty stomach. She returned with an empty life. You may be at a point where you have not been living for God. For you, the empty stomach was, you, you, you were trying to mask the pain by bad relationships or by, by indulging in things you shouldn't have indulged in. And you just feel, feel like nobody would ever take you back. I want you to remember when you're sitting in that dorm or sitting in that apartment, you can always come home. You can always reach out to April and I. You can always come back to this youth group, but most importantly, you can always come back to God. He gives us this promise in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, this is written to Christians, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just and he'll forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can always come home. April will tell you, we get texts and calls from people we haven't heard from in three years. They left giving us the up yours, saying I know a lot better than you. And one thing I love to do is to welcome prodigal sons and daughters back into the fold. But there's one person who loves to do that even more than I do, and it's Jesus. You can always come home, and Naomi reminds us of that. So, I'm going to post the application points. You know, I always have my R words, F words, whatever. I'm going to post them on Instagram. Um, Pretty much what I'm asking you to do is rely on God's promises, to hold on to Jesus as the Redeemer, and to return. For those of you that, you're you're kind of Naomi. You've gone down to Moab, (laughs) Uh, spiritually speaking. Come home tonight. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to get out of here. So let's pray. Now, God, thank you that through this true story, this real series of events that actually happened, you give us hope in a world that's often ruthlessly painful. Thank you that through the story of Naomi that we're gonna continue on reading and and learning about, you see that even though it hurts, there's there's a purpose in, in the pain that we experience. And God, thank you that no matter what, no matter how far we've gone, we're never too far to come home. I thank you for that personally, that you let me come home. And I pray for teenagers here, Lord. I pray that you'll save them from the world. I pray that you'll save them from ever having experienced the emptiness that Naomi felt, the emptiness that many of us have felt at different times in our life. But God, if, if they find themselves in that situation, God, I pray that they'll remember that they can always come home. God, we thank you for everything you do. We thank you for bringing us back after this ice storm. I pray that we'll leave knowing that you are God, you're in control, even in the pain. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thanks again for listening to the Refuel Podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.